This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. That's right, your questions are at the heart of the show. Simply send a text or voice message to at WisemanPod or head to listentoonyourmind.com and in return you can expect fascinating facts, scintillating science and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're talking about animals and nature. What can you tell about a person's personality from their pets? How does being out in nature affect us? And is it good to own a dog? I mean, yes, obviously it's good to get a dog. Everyone should get a dog. That's the take-home from this. Ruin the entire show. Get a dog. Spoiler, get a dog. Everyone get a dog. Let's get on with the show. is an episode of two halves. We've got animals and we've got... It's a good number of halves to have. It is. Uh, I prefer three halves Mm. because then you've got a spare half just in case one of the other halves didn't quite work for you. Yeah, no, it's a a good thought. So, sadly, we've only got two halves, so they've got to be good. They've got to be good. They will be good. The pressure's on. Because we are going to be talking about dogs and other animals and nature, but mainly dogs. Um, I'm sensing you're a dog fan. I am totally impartial, yeah. Have you got a dog? No, I live with a cat person as well. Right. So... Do you grow up with dogs? Yes. Right. Yeah, and my parents have a dog. Okay. What sort of dog did you grow up with? First one was quite a bad-tempered border terrier, and then we've had a series of very lovely, slightly stupid Labradors. What about you? No, I grew up with cats, which I don't really like cats very much. Mm. And that's probably going to become apparent during the uh, episode. This is why we're friends. Yes, uh, but I do love dogs. Mm. I adore dogs. And, and yet you don't have one. I travel. I travel a lot. I'm on the mm. road a lot of the time. And it's if not really fair. a tiny little sausage dog or something that you can put in your Yes, or claim it's luggage. an emotional dog and I yes, can take it with me everywhere. emotional support. That's Absolutely. a thing now. yes. I have repeatedly tried to pitch something about dogs v cats because I think there's so much really interesting science out there. Yes. So we had a vet contact the show, a vet chooses to remain nameless, who says that in his experience, cat owners treat their pets as if they were their children, whereas dog owners act like the dog is their friend. He says there's a big difference and the cat parents are the problematic ones. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm very supportive of that because it's a pro dog comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so now, th- now the flip side of this, yes. just to give the balanced approach, Julia has written in saying that from her experience, she thinks that people who like dogs tend to be extroverted, hyperactive, and have a great need to please people, just like dogs, and that cat people like her tend to be quieter, deep thinking, and sceptical introverts. Mm. Well, it's about personality and pet ownership. Yeah. And a few years ago, that's exactly the study that I did. So there have been a lot of work showing that people look like their animals. Yeah. Um, and, and the longer they've got the animal as a pet, the more they look like that particular animal. That was the previous it's work. It's amazing. People with their really long, straight hair and their Afghan hounds. Exactly. I just Hours of entertainment. That's what the internet's for, really. Yeah, I think so. So what we did was slightly different. We looked at personality and pet ownership. So 2,000 people came online. They filled out a fairly standard personality questionnaire. Then they told us the pet that they'd got. And we found out, first of all, there's a big similarity between the personality that you think your pet has and your own personality. Okay. 
So one way in which if you meet somebody and you want to know about their personality, you can't really say to somebody, oh, what, what are you like? That's a bit rude. But what you could say is, oh, do you have a pet? And they go, yes. They go, what's your pet like? And in fact, what they're doing without realising it is it's describing projecting. their own personality. Uh-huh. Yes. So if you fancy someone who's into snakes, I mean, I get cats and dogs, different personalities. Yeah. Snakes. Well, I, I think even, even their people are projecting. And... Yes, but that's what they'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then you know they're talking about themselves. So we found out that fish owners were yeah. the happiest group. Uh, dog owners, most fun to be with. Cat owners, the most dependable and emotionally sensitive. And reptile owners, the most independent. Mm. So very similar uh, to the animals there. But my favourite question in the whole survey was about whether their pet had a good sense of humour. Oh, yeah. And we found out that 57% of people thought their fish had a good sense of humour. I don't think people were taking this very seriously. 48% of cats had a good sense of humour. Only 42% uh, of horses had a good sense of humour. I can see that. Long face. Yes, exactly. Very good. 38% of birds and 0% of reptile owners thought their reptile had got a good sense of humour. I think that's more power to the reptile owners because... They're being honest. They're being honest. Yes. Yeah. Uh, But top of the sense of humour league with a massive 62%, dogs... Got a sense of humour. All breeds or... Didn't ask that question. Yeah, I think I think this demands further research because there, I think there are certain certain breeds that just don't seem to be funny. Right. What's your, what's your favourite breed of dog on the humour front? Probably, yeah, a Labrador or a Collie. Right. Um, Col- collies are quite sneaky dogs though, aren't they? Yeah, they're smart though. Yes. Now, my friend of mine got a Collie that used to work on a farm... And the collie used to enjoy rounding up her children. <laughs> so it would sort of snap at their heels a bit yeah, until yeah. the children were together, um, which is quite handy. Um, so there's been lots of... <laughs> Stop talking about dog breeds. Um, <laughs> uh, lots of research has looked at whether owning a dog and a cat uh, is good for your physical and psychological health. Okay. And the results of it, I mean, you might be able to guess what the results are, but the effects, the size of the effects are quite astounding. So one of them is that they're looking at recovery rates of patients who've had heart attacks and dog owners almost nine times more likely to be alive 12 months later. And there's lots of stuff like this, you know, everyday stress, dog owners are a bit more relaxed and so on. Is that because the dog is actively taking off the stress load? Because we've, we've had a question from Alex about his dog. I have a pet sausage dog, which we've called Sausage. Mm, very good. And if ever one of my kids is upset or crying, Sausage will go straight to them and nuzzle up to their face until they calm down. Is this common behaviour for dogs? I'm not a dog psychologist, um, but I've seen that sort of thing happen, so I'm going to say yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Because if you've got the stress of recovery and you're ill, and if a dog can assist with that, then obviously that's going to help your recovery, no? Yeah, and I guess to the heart of the issue, which is that there's lots of studies showing that owning a dog in particular is good for your health and longevity. And the question is why? Why? And there's quite a few candidates, and it's easy to go with the sort of physiological side of you're stroking this kind of warm lovely soft thing you also have 
an animal that loves you and wants to cuddle up to you. You've also got responsibilities. I was going to say, that's right. You've, you've got a reason. You've got something to look after. You've got a reason to wake up the next morning. You have to get outside and walk it. Yes, which is physical exercise. And the big one that lots of people leave out is that when you go for a walk with your dog, you meet other people. If yes. you've got a nice dog, everyone strokes your dog, you start talking to them or you meet other dog owners. And it's probably, I'm a social psychologist, so I would argue those social effects are going to be pretty big in there. So all those things just come from owning a dog. On the downside, you have to pick up a lot of dog shit. I mean, you can't make an omelette without picking up dog shit. No. I'm sure there's an analogy there here. There is. There's a, to I'm... get the rainbow, you have to put up with the rain. There we go. That's we the go. right one. I'm a big fan of Viz magazine. Yep. And they have Viz top tips, which are ridiculous bits they're, of advice. They are great, yep. And my claim to fame, the thing I'm most proud of, is that I sent one in that got published. Oh, well done. And the reason I'm mentioning it is that it's dog-based. So I said, convince your friends that you own a dog by going to your local park and constantly <laughs> shouting the word no at the top of your voice. <laughs> and I got, I got chosen by Viz, so I was, I was very happy about that. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, so you can give people uh, very stressful tasks, like the sort of things psychologists like do, stick their hand in buckets of ice water, uh, or get them to count back from 100 in threes, and then you give them a dog and they become a lot more relaxed afterwards, better at the task and, uh, and so on. So there's lots of these uh, looking at both sort of short-term and long-term health. And the, the bottom line is it's, it's thumbs up for the dogs. And they interact with us because they can recognise our facial expressions, right? We certainly get the impression they recognise our facial expressions. I think they're pretty good at picking up whether humans are upset, but whether it's facial, I mean, they've, they've, got, they've got a good sense of smell. And so there's going to be all sorts of things going on in terms of being able to recognise whether somebody else is stressed and upset. And conversely, we have moulded their facial expressions. Yes. Um, and there's a particular set of muscles above the eye that they can pull up, which give them one, a kind of slightly sad, pathetic look. This is above their own eyes. Yes. Right, yeah. Not their owner's eyes. <laughs> not their owner's eyes. No. Sorry, above their own eyes. If you look at the difference between wolves and dogs, then all dogs have got this muscle and it pulls up and it makes their eyes look bigger and rounder right. and it's something called pedomorphism and okay. that's something that we react to and we're like, oh, we must look after so this. they look like babies. babies. Yes, yeah. yes, it makes you ah. Uh, the good news, though, on that front is that eye dogs, robotic dogs, have a very similar uh, impact on people's uh, well-being. So this is uh, Marion Banks who looked at this and gave patients in long care facilities a uh, eye dog and actually has quite an impact on loneliness so they feel more connected, even though it's not a, a genuine dog. So okay. You, you don't have all the downsides of having a, a, a real dog. Do they still take the eye dogs for walks? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, meet other you eye so dog owners. Yeah, exactly. Yes. The social element. Oh, you've got a C3000. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, if it works, uh, then why not? The, the bottom line is that in terms of personality, people often see the, their own personality in their, their pet's personality, uh, that dogs have got a good sense of humour 
and that there's been so many studies showing that physiologically, health-wise, psychological, uh, mental well-being and so on, dogs in particular, big thumbs up. So we've spoken a lot about dogs, but I mentioned snakes earlier. We've had a question from listener Mark who says, I once saw someone walking down the pavement with their pet snake wrapped around their arm like they were out walking a dog. Why do people own pets such as reptiles that show no discernible emotional bonding behaviour? What are they getting from this relationship? Which is a great question. It's a very good question. And I would, as ever, fall back on the social psychology of it, which is I think what you get is quite a lot of curiosity and interest from other people. So when you're walking down the street with your snake wrapped around your arm, it's probably unlikely you're going to meet another person with a snake wrapped around their arm. So it's a way of meeting other people by doing something rather curious and unusual. So I'd move away from the idea of, oh, you know, they're cold-blooded and and unemotional and so on, and just think, ah, yes, but it does attract attention to yourself. And so probably you start to bond with others because of that. Someone at a party let me play with their boa constrictor. Oh, they're big. I mean, it is perfectly possible, actually, that aside from the social elements, maybe reptile owners are the more together people and they can own an animal for the pure beauty of that animal. So, okay, so they're more sort of independent. They don't need the constant love of a a dog with its bigger infant eyes. So the point of this animal is maybe not the relationship that you have with it. You've taken yourself out of the equation and you just get to play with this extraordinary creature. Aren't they the ones that wrap themselves around things and and constrict, that's the name, and kill them? Yeah, so it was, it went up my arm and over the back of my neck and down the other arm and it was like a feather boa. Right. And it was very slow moving, but it was definitely trying to kind of wrap itself around my neck. Isn't that rather worrying? (laughs) Well, it it didn't do it very fast, so I just kept unpicking it. It was quite an old one. Right, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Slow and steady. Which is what you want in a boa constrictor. Ideally, yes. Slower than me. We've spoken about animals. We've spoken about pets. Mm, Wild animals. So, birdsong. So Ryan Hammond from King's College did some lovely work. And this is a type of psychology which is called kind of sampling. So so you say to people, uh, often you give them a smartphone and then it will beep at certain times in the day and you have to report what you're doing and how you feel at that point. And what it stops is people having a biased memory. Because if you sort of say, oh, today, how happy were you? You look back over the day and you can't quite remember and you come up with a number and so on. But if you ask people three times a day, every time it beeps, how happy are you? You get a much more accurate response. So the question here in this particular study was how well they were feeling at that moment, but also could they hear birdsong? There are other questions there as, as well, but the birdsong one was particularly important. And what you found is that independent of everything else that was going on, if they could hear birdsong, that's he felt much better about themselves and the world. Why? It's something, I mean, it could be an evolutionary perspective that you're kind of out in the open, it's a positive environment and so on. And it's also quite a pleasant sound, isn't it? It's the most astonishing sound. So, you know, New Zealand didn't have any mammals on it. Oh. And humans only got there 700 years ago. Right. So it had thousands of years where it was just birds. Okay. And when Captain Cook turned up, there must have been the most amazing din because the bird population has been ravaged by rats and New Zealanders have their moonshot program is to eradicate the rats and they've managed it on one island Mm. and they've got all the bird wildlife has come back and you can get a ferry over there and as you approach it there's just this 
din and it just makes you really happy. It's great. Uh, does that mean you've experienced this? I have, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I went, <laughs> went to New Zealand to do a programme about killing rats. Right. And it's amazing trying to find anybody who is pro-rat. I, I ended up in a vegan cafe trying to find someone who'd take the rat's perspective. But moving away from the rats, you, you've heard the, the bird song then. Yeah. En masse, as it were. Yeah. And it's a lovely thing. It's astonishing. I Just one of the best things ever. Would recommend. This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind and in this episode we're talking about animals and nature. And if you want us to keep doing this, we need your help and support. Please review us and share the episodes with your friends and please subscribe too. It helps other people find us. Uh, so, nature. Nature. Lots of work, again, on the power of nature. Olivia's been in touch and she says she read that looking at the colour green can lower the heart rate and make you feel calmer. Is there any truth in that? There's a great deal of truth on it and, and fascinating in terms of the impact that colour has on us. Uh, so, patients in hospitals uh, who can see trees out of their windows get well quicker. The one I like is prisoners who can see greenery outside their cell windows uh, actually have fewer medical problems than oh, other prisoners. In areas of cities where there's more greenery, there is less crime. And when people go for walks, uh, if they go to areas where there's greenery, there's trees and, and shrubs and so on, uh, lower incidence of mental distress. So it's sounding, it's sounding like nature is positive. And we've had a question here from Muriel about spending time in nature. Should we listen to that? I would like to know how we can use nature as like a reset mechanism, whether spending time in nature can help us um, yeah, reset our mind and how often we should be in nature to achieve that. So what, what she's talking about seems to be, if you're medicating using nature, what's the dose? Yeah, I don't know there is a, a dose effect like that. We know that getting out into the greenery, going for walks, and again, often we walks with other people, so you've got that social dimension there, is good for you. From an evolutionary perspective, it's been argued that because you're in a, a, a sort of natural environment, and it's quite a positive environment it's not one where there's no resources and and so on it makes you kind of feel much better but i'm not certain there is a dosage effect any time out is good and also natural environments change they're quite curious to me they've got texture to them they've got some smell to them um there's sort of positive and negative ions release and all this sort of thing which isn't true of urban environments which are unchanging for the most part so there's all this debate about why being out in nature is good for you what we know is fundamentally it is okay can you game it if you do live in an urban environment uh, there's a few things you can do. It looks like, I mean, for example, just having potted plants is pretty good. Living in a green space is good, as in the colour green. There is some work showing that just having pictures of natural environments doesn't have such a big effect. So I suspect it's about the immersive element, because when you're out in a forest, it's, it's all around you. It's not just one small thing in front of you. I've read some interesting work done in, in the Netherlands where they showed a positive effect from painting, it was like a billboard in an urban space green. So they thought, OK, we don't have trees, but let's just paint this wall green. Yes. That did seem to work. So it suggests that there's a size thing going on. If you look at a tiny picture of a tree, not working for you. But if the entire wall is yes. green. 
Uh, but of course, there is other work showing that if you put a potted plant into an office, then that has a big effect on creativity and, and so on. So again, the literature is a little bit mixed on it, but it is skewed towards, yes, a positive effect. Do you know if anyone's done real plants versus fake plants? Because there's a lot of fake office plants out yeah, there. I, Gives I, you a look of green, but actually we put a load of real plants in my office when I lived in the Netherlands because uh, we'd just done something about indoor air pollution and realised quite how much having plants near you filters the air. Yes. And that's good for you. I mean, again, it, it comes down to the, the why question because if it is physiological like that and about air quality, that's going to matter. If it's just the aesthetic of it and it's like, oh, I feel relaxed because I'm around something that looks like nature, then the plastic ones are going to be just as good as we found out with the, the eye dog. So my, my guess would be, don't know because I haven't done the study, I haven't read about it, my guess would be that real plants are better but plastic ones are better than nothing. There has been quite a lot of work on looking after plants Oh God! And uh, it uh, again. This is why people have plastic plants because there's nothing more depressing than a dead plant. That's yes. So uh, my my ex gave me a bonsai tree and oh. uh, as a birthday present, and he he kind of suggested that if I nurtured it and loved it, then mm -hmm. this thing would grow. Yes, and of course, like your relationship. Yes, that was the subject. They both died. <laughs> yeah, they both died. Uh -oh. So, you know, I forgot to water it. I went, went away and left it for a few weeks and then I overwatered it. And then, I don't know, then I took it home and buried it in my parents' back garden. Well, uh, Stephen Pack, who's a colleague of mine at University of Hertfordshire, has done exactly this. So he's giving people bonsai plants, or trees, I suppose. And uh, he's found huge positive effects from people looking after them. There's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but it's rewarding work and it gives you that sense of control as well. So if you're travelling, then you have to take the bonsai tree and the very heavy pot that it... Because it's always right. a very... Still probably easier than a dog. You could yeah. have an emotional comfort bonsai tree. <laughs> and I've, I've never looked after a bonsai tree, but I assume it is... Because it's all to do with wiring up the, the Yeah, you've got to branches. snip tiny bits off it. Yes. And keep so, the moss around it damp. Well, um... His research is suggesting that it's a very, very big positive effect. And that's on top of other work uh, by a very famous psychologist, um, Ellen Langer, who gave plants to elderly people in care homes and, again, had a big positive effect on their mental and physical well-being because they'd got something to look after that they were in control of. Lots of times in those sorts of environments, you don't have very much control and that sense of control is really important to us. So just even providing it in that kind of little sort of microcosm uh, was, was extremely helpful. So these are, are small things that people can do that have a surprisingly large impact on their lives. There are some incredible projects that help people with PTSD through through working uh, with therapeutic garden projects. Is this about just being in nature and being outdoors or is this the element of control coming in there? I think there's lots going on. So there's the element of control, there's the element of being outside, there's the element of growing something. There's also the challenge, the challenging task you're doing well at. But I would argue, again, there's the social element you know, you've got now something to talk to other people about. You've got that shared experience. Lots of people are into gardening. And Stephen, with the bonsai work, was, was seeing the same sort of thing. If you start to get interested in bonsai trees, you can start to talk about it with other people who are interested. You go to shows, you go to meetings, and now you're part of a community. And that is so important. So we, we forget that all these things, like the dog ownership we are talking about before, it's a way of connecting with others. And it's that connection, from my perspective, that I think is really interesting and really important. 
So if you've got a community of people who regularly kill houseplants accidentally... Yes. ..then that's still a community and you can bond over that. That's right, and and you could be part of that community. Yes, I can. That's right. What what did you kill this week? (laughs) Well, even this plant, which everyone can look after, normally no problems at all, I've managed to make it die. That could be, you know, everyone goes, oh, that's great. You've just reminded me I haven't watered Grandfather, which is a 68-year-old plant that I've been left in charge of. Are you serious? Yeah. Who gave you grandfather? It's my landlord's. Oh. <laughs> and it actually put you in charge of a plant that matters. I know. Knowing it's that really you are the bad. serial killer it's of plants. It's really bad. It's fine, though. It's going to be fine. It's going to yes, be fine. eventually. I just need to line up a replacement plant. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was talking to some of the uh, horticulturalists at Kew, and one of them said, um, if it makes you feel any better... We all know that in order to look after any species, you have to kill one at least twice. Right. And that made me that did make me feel a lot better. Okay, right. So, yeah. you know, even these pros who are looking after these really rare orchids, like, oh crap, that one clearly didn't like that much water. So what have we learned? We have learned a great deal that owning a dog is good for you. It could be a social thing, uh, it could be physiological, it could be emotional. We know that being out in green spaces is extremely good for you for all sorts of reasons. Uh, we know that looking after plants, for most people, as long as they keep the plant reasonably healthy, is beneficial. And that underpinning a lot of those studies are the social effects, the fact that it's not just being in a green space or uh, having a dog or a cat or having a plant, is the fact that it connects you with others. That's the surprising psychology that underpins all of it. From Podimo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. You can also email us at WisemanPod at Podimo.com. If you like this podcast, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.